Hello and thank you for joining us for our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I appreciate you tuning us in today that God may speak to you through his word and the Holy Spirit may minister to you through the messages that are brought forth, that you'll be blessed and we pray that you will continue to listen to our podcast and we pray that you would have a blessed day. God bless you all. Good to see all of you today. As a pastor, I don't always, I'm not always able to call in sick, but <laughs> I come rain or shine, right? And uh, what Howard mentioned, he left out a very important part of my text message to him. I said, I don't want to be misunderstood that you got rid of my grass. So, all right, I forgive him. I forgive him for that. Um, <laughs> Didn't tell anybody. <laughs> That's right. I appreciate that. It's been like two years plus of grass clippings there that were pretty smelly. I agree. Um, today we're going to continue on and finish up chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Last week I talked about the role of women in ministry, leadership, and, and so people that uh, understand it maybe one way and, and how I interpret scripture. Um, I tried to explain that. You can look that up on the uh, church Facebook page if you'd like to see about that. Uh, today I want to talk about uh, Paul's section where he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Now this, uh, Paul was writing in chapters 11 through 14, you're going to find this section of his letter where he's correcting a lot of their uh, problems of disunity in the church. Uh, and in this particular case, in this portion, about abusing the Lord's Supper. And it seemed that the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist, or communion as we call it, uh, was not just, in this setting, was not just a tiny little cracker or wafer, or a small little cup that we serve of wine or juice, um, but it was this common meal that they were having together, or it was supposed to be a common meal that they were having together, which was far from the case. And during this meal, they were trying to remember the Lord's sacrifice with the bread and the wine, but they weren't doing it very well. Now, some have said it's called the Lord's Supper instead of dinner because English translators were from the southern states, right? <laughs> Thank you, Billy. Thank you, Billy. Billy has a new app, new thing, so if you don't laugh enough, I could just say, hit it, you know. Do it again, just, uh... All right, cool. It's kind of like a sitcom, you know? You just have to, <laughs> you just have to add a few uh, fillers once in a while. But of all the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, those first three, they all mention the Lord's Supper, and in Matthew 26, uh, 26, Mark 14, 22, and Luke 22, verse 14, they all record this, that Jesus had this dinner with his, last, his disciples before he was crucified, before he was arrested and crucified and died. And uh, now each describes Jesus giving thanks for the bread and the cup, and giving it to their disciples, saying, 
The bread is my body. The cup is the blood of the new covenant in my blood. Um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Now in the gospel of John, he takes a little bit of different approach in his story about it. In John 13, he mentions that this Passover meal that he has with his, um, and the Last Supper, it was a Passover meal, and he washed his disciples' feet. Um, he actually prayed for them. If you read through John also, 14, 15, 16, and 17, this is the whole culmination of his evening together with his disciples in this Passover meal together. Um, and so then he talked about someone's going to betray me. And they're all murmuring among, among themselves going, who's going to be our, the betrayer? Who is it? Um, then he said, whoever I give this bread and I dip it into this cup and hand it to him, that is the betrayer. And so he did that. He took the bread, dipped it in there, and he handed it to Judas Iscariot. And it says, immediately Satan entered into him and he said, go and do quickly what you're going to go do. So he was from that moment, Satan entered him. He was demon possessed. And, um, and so the historical origin of the Lord's Supper is that it's this final Passover meal that Jesus ate with his disciples the night before he's crucified. If you don't know the Old Testament and the meaning of the Passover, we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's look in verse 11, starting in verse 17 through the remainder of this chapter. It says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been, um, there have to uh, be differences among you to show which you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, in um, the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without regarding the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we have judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together and eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. 
Lord God, I just ask that we may understand what Paul was speaking about, the covenant and the, the significance of the Passover meal and that you became the broken body and you shed your blood for us. Lord, that we would always do this in remembrance of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, now, I would have probably done communion today because we're talking about communion. But last October, um, someone passed out communion that apparently had COVID and apparently thought that, you know, some people are accusing that person that you might have been the super spreader. I don't know who that someone was, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that someone has a similar name to me. But um, so I'm not going to serve communion today. We're good with that? All right, you can probably put that applause, you know, <laughs> laugher, but, um, but this is uh, a matzo bread, and this is a symbol, you know, a symbolic cup that we use in communion. And I even talked last fall about communion. I talked about how uh, during the Passover meal, it's not just one bread that they give, but there's several segments in the Passover meal. Have you ever gone to a seder, anyone? Uh, different segments of that Passover meal. And it's lengthy. It's about three hours um, that you're going to do that. But the very end, and the hidden Afrikoman, uh, which is hidden by the children that are going to search for it, and then they find it, and he gives them gifts uh, to the Jewish child that would find the Afrikoman. And he said, I am the Afrikoman. He said, I was hidden, but now I've been revealed. So there's really a powerful significance in that, that whole Passover meal. And, and so I encourage you to study it a little further about understanding the whole uh, he Hebrew meaning of it behind it in the Passover. Uh, if you don't know the Old Testament, the feast of the Passover was to remember the Passover lamb, um, the blood that was put on the doorposts and on the side, the lentils on the side, uh, to spare the Israelites or anyone else from the angel of death that was going to pass by uh, during that 10th plague. Now, the actions and the meeting of it are all rooted in what Jesus did on the last night. And it's very powerful in saying, this is me. I am that one. I am that Passover lamb. Jesus himself, you may say, is the origin of the Lord's Supper and he commanded it to be continued, to do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget it, but to spend forever and ever to remember this covenant relationship. And he has now become that Passover lamb, the spotless lamb. His blood would be shed, spilled out for all to save from death. Now, where the Jewish Passover was part of the old covenant, it was an old covenant meal, to remember how they needed to sacrifice this one lamb spotless lamb, that is, and to put blood on the doorposts of their home to keep them from that angel of death. And everyone had to obey this. This wasn't just a suggestion, uh, but it was a requirement. If you're going to save your firstborn from death, you need to do this. And so uh, obviously the Israelites did not do that, and Pharaoh himself, son, died that night. They were told to eat all of the offering as well. They were said, eat all of it. They were given special instructions how they were to do this. Uh, and they were to eat it by faith 
and had to be anticipation ready to be delivered, ready to be set free from slavery. Um, they were in faith with this anticipation that you're going to be set free from the power of slavery. Communion serves you basically the same purpose as Passover. We are identified with this new covenant because we received Jesus as our Savior, our Passover Lamb, and we are delivered from the power of sin. We are rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We are rescued from slavery. And when we, when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are also identified with Him and He with us. We become His children, and the devil knows it, and we need to also understand that the importance, the significance of that. When we celebrate communion, we are legally reaffirming our legal commitment or connection to Jesus. When I take the bread and the cup, I'm saying to the world and to my flesh, and you might say to the devil, um, I belong to Jesus, and he is, I am legally his, and he is legally mine. And you know what? That can also be a powerful statement. I'm standing on this promise. I'm standing on the promise that I'm a child of God. I'm standing on this as I'm taking this. Then I'm not going to buy into the lies of the enemy that I'm still the same and I'm always going to be that same person. That I belong to him and all that he has belongs to me as well. That which, that's what covenant means. Jesus never instituted anything just as a matter of fact or a religious or traditional exercise. Just do this, you know, once a, you know, once a gathering, just to, for symbolic reasons. Um, it was to never forget our position and our identity in Christ Jesus. That's so important for us to know that. And the Passover did the same thing, but it did something else as well. God was going to unleash the full power of that covenant with the people of God. He was about to prove that he was their God and they were his people. Just like the Israelites putting the blood on their doorposts of their house, they were declaring their identity. This is my identity now. Um, the blood is my covering and my deliverer, my protector, my savior. Also by eating the covenant meal and having packed um, they were ready to leave. They were exercising their faith in that covenant relationship with Almighty God. This is exactly what we should be doing when we also partake of communion together. All that, you know, a lot to think about. <laughs> when I, I just thought, you know, to just do it because I have to, you know, it's once a month, you know, we pass it out. Um, but 1 Peter reminds us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 is one that says, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And so he's reminding the people, the, the people that were Gentiles, even Jews, all alike, that you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God, especially the Gentiles. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Similar to what Hosea prophesied in Hosea 1.9, he prophesied this. That one day you uh, used to be not my people, but one day you will be called the sons of God. And so we also, uh, you know, I was talking about this a little bit at the men's Bible study the other night. 
Sometimes people say that we're all children of God. We're all born to, yes, children of God. And I say we are all created to be children of God. We are made in his image. We're made in his likeness. And there's powerful some symbolism there. But only once we receive that kingdom of the son he loves, then we are called children of God. Because he talks about you were once enemies of the cross. Once enemies. In our sin, we are considered outside the family of God. In our sin, in our brokenness, in our depravity, uh, in our darkness. He said, you are created still to be a child of God, but you're not there yet. You have to receive that and be declared your new identity, your new covenant relationship is that you are a child of God once you accept the covering in his blood. Similar to an Israelite who did not put the blood over their doorposts, there was going to be death there. Similar, if we don't put the blood over ourselves, we are not cleansed from our sin. There's power in the blood of Jesus. Number one, communion is a declaration of covenant relationship with God. I'm declaring that. I am standing on that, whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm holding on to that. And a communion is that covenant meal of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. There's that similar likeness in the old and the new covenants when we receive communion. And should not be just this religious duty or, or exercise or, or uh, traditional duty. We are declaring we are now in that covenant relationship uh, that really can't be broken, not a contract relationship. Um, I have often talked to married couples or couples getting married about the importance of that covenant relationship you're making with one another. It's not just a marriage license, not just a contract that can be broken, but covenant relationship is that unending, unbroken relationship that it's meant to be. Same thing with our relationship with God. It's meant to be as we become one with Christ. Um, we are also accessing the blessing of that covenant by faith every time we do it. Um, Paul was summarizing the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples, and he was not there. He was not there. So it says in verse 20 thing, 23, So I received it from the Lord, what I also delivered unto you. So he was not there um, the night that Jesus had that last summer, but he received it by revelation from the Holy Spirit. Um, and Paul said that communion commemorates his sacrifice, his broken body, his shed blood, by which he paid the price for our sin and consecrated uh, the new covenant. You can see um, Hebrews 9, 11 through 28. You can read more about that. Um, lots of symbol, symbolism in Hebrews. Um, there's another passage in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, verse 16 says, This is the covenant I will make with them after a time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. Verse 17, 10, 17. Their sin and lawless acts or lawless deeds I will remember no more. He's talking about this is where you used to be. This is where you have now become the children of God. And I'm going to write in your heart the things of God. 
where you had to go to the synagogue, you had to go to the temple, you had to go to a priest. He said, you're going to have relationship with me, intimate relationship. What I created from all time, from Adam and Eve in the garden, to have this walking in the garden with you, this is what I'm paying so that we can have back what was lost from the first sin. So these elements of the Passover are now considered types, or you could say typologies, that were fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. So the church is no longer required to go and take their lamb to the, to the temple, you know, or their dove, or whatever you can afford. So when the Christian partakes of the Lord's Supper, he is celebrating, again, that I am a child of God. This new covenant in Jesus and his shed blood of the cross gives me the forgiveness of my sin. Uh, though I may sin... And though we probably all sin, hopefully not on the way to church this morning, but, you know, hope if you sin, you don't identify with that sin anymore. You are have a new identity in Christ. But we still sin. We just don't live there anymore. I don't live in that sin. If I'm continually, blatantly sinning and forgetting about all the promises and the covenant relationship, then we need to reexamine ourselves. What am I doing? So this new covenant with Jesus and his shed blood for the cross uh, and the forgiveness of sin, I remember that. The purpose of communion is to remember, to commemorate his death. And just as he said to his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Then to signify, um, to seal, and to apply uh, to believers all the benefits of this new covenant uh, they are to solemnly commemorate or consecrate themselves to him and to his entire service. There's a whole important significance of consecration too. Go cleanse yourself. Go get cleaned up. Go consecrate yourself. Don't come to the temple without doing it. Don't make a promise to God or a vow to God without going, first, go clean up yourself. Go take a bath maybe. But also more than that, cleansing oneself. And so when a Christian partakes of, a part, you know, we're celebrating that um, sacred time. Reading through the earlier chapters of 1 Corinthians, we find that the church of Corinth had a lot of problems. It had, you know, quite a few things that we've already talked about in, in the last couple months. There was strife, there was divisions, there was pride, uh, there was selfishness, and so much influence of the world that... Of these immoral behaviors that are also coming into the church. Division, pride, and tolerance of all of these sin issues. You know, it's okay, don't say it's not bad, um, because they had lost sight of what is the Word of God. Beside that, there was also disorder in their gatherings for worship, and this is what chapters 11 through 14, he's going to start talking about that disorder in their public gatherings. Now, when you come together, you are not really eating the Lord's Supper, he said. You're not really doing that. Each took his own supper, and those who were not being, were not being considerate of those who had nothing. Um, you might say they had a big <coughs> potluck together, potluck together, and they were trying to come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. They're still trying to follow what Acts 2, verse 42 says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to gathering, and to the breaking 
of bread. They were still trying to follow that teaching that that's what the church should do. We should gather together and share with one another who has needs and, and stuff. They were getting part of the breaking the bread, but not together. <laughs> they were mistaken. And instead of celebrating the Lord's Supper, they turned it into an apparent out-of-control drunk fest, and they were exploiting the poor among them as well. Um, you might say it was a beer garden, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was whatever you want to do, you know, type of thing. Thank you, Ron. I sound like Froggy from Little Rascals a little bit. Um, but communion, number two, is a relationship with the entire family of God, with the, with the family. That is what joins us together. We're reminded about the importance of relationship with God, covenant relationship with God, number one. But we're also reminded of the importance of that relationship we have with one another. Uh, communion is that celebration of the common bond that we have together in Jesus. That we, he calls us his children. And because of God, because of Jesus and his blood of forgiveness of our sins, we are brought together as the family of God. And we are to consider others more important than ourselves. Now, as we gather to worship together, as we pray together, as we eat potlucks together, as we support, as we help one another in our needs, we serve one another. It's all about the one another's. Seldom are you going to see it's all about me. That, it's not about you. It has nothing to do with it but you. In chapter 12, which will, will be talked about Next week, it talks about, you know, one's not more important than one another. God makes up the body in different parts and different functions. Evidently in Corinth, those who were wealthy and had greater means seated themselves with this food, with this abundance and drink, while those who had less went without. Sorry, you missed the, you missed the memo <laughs> for the potluck. Um, by allowing these class distinctions... They were not eating the Lord's Supper. You're not, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. You're just satisfying your own individual wants. Your own individual suppers. Some went home full or drunk, while some went home hungry. And they were eating and drinking in this unworthy manner and were guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And they were irreverent, they were inconsiderate, selfish and so bringing judgment upon themselves in that case. Now, the church at Corinth had made communion this, this common meal together, okay? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, it's, it's not meaning that the little cup and the little wafer that we, we have is the only way. I'm, you know, is the only way. Now, there was a time in church where this pastor I served under served milk and cookies. And I'm like... Woo! <laughs> that was a really bad mistake, and he got he got pretty ridiculed for that one. I'm not, I've never tried milk and cookies, but I get the point that he was trying to say. He's saying it was coming together. You can't really make milk into blood. I don't know how he 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 related that particular uh, passage, but he was just trying to say this is when we come together, this common meal together. That's what it's to be about. Now, when a Christian partakes of the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating this. We're here to remember that 
by, you know, and so the Corinth had made this communion into this common meal and they were not partaking together. Instead, in their sin, in their selfishness, Paul mentions some of you have become weak, some of you become sick, and some of you have died. Uh, and it wasn't because of food poisoning, right? <laughs> or because someone had COVID. Uh, the problem, let's talk about the problem here. The problem that was, was causing this uh, situation, that caused this discipline, was that some of the Christians refused to acknowledge the meal they were eating was the Lord's body and his blood they were, they were signif signifying in this passage. Um, they also failed to recognize the importance and the significance of this solemn gathering. Take it serious. Let's come together in seriousness. Now, I'm sure I can probably share a little bit of my story as well as you can. Have you ever taken communion irreverently? Oh, really? <laughs> really? Okay. Now, when I was a little kid and I grew up in the Baptist church and they passed the communion and and we're like, ooh, you know, we're just taking the little cup and you <laughs> just playing with it. And, you know, back in my day, some of you may relate, these wood, wood pews and there were no cushions. There were no cushions, but also the little pockets had these little rubber grommets that you stuck the communion cup in. Did you ever remember those, anyone? Little rubber things. I used to pull those out and we used to shoot each other with those little... <laughs> you know, was that your reverend? I don't know. I don't know. I was. I thought it was kind of funny. Oh, let's go up there and you know. And I still have kids do that. They're playing, uh, you know, and wanting to drink all the rest of the communion elements. And you know, some of you grew up, and I, and I have to give credit to some more liturgical type churches, the Catholic Church, that talk about um, you know confirmation hearing, you know conf hearings, confirmation, <laughs> confirmation, uh, that classes, thank you, uh, <laughs> that they have to go through, and they talk about the significance of this, so they don't, when they have their first communion, you know, that's, that's pretty important, and a lot of those churches serve wine, so they don't want it to be, you know, taken irreverently as well. Now, in, in the Foursquare Church, unlike some other more liturgical or Catholic upbringings, that we don't talk about transubstantiation, which is the, literally the elements in, in, the, in those churches, it becomes the literal body and the blood of Jesus. Now, I don't ascribe to that, that theology that that is true. I still believe it's bread, and I still believe it's juice or wine. <laughs> but there is power in the significance of that consecrating those elements of recognizing the power in that. And it's very important that we never take it lightly because I've seen people healed when they partake of communion. There, it is a powerful thing. And talking about power, um, I picked up a book last year or a couple years ago now, The Power of Communion by Benny Johnson. Now, if you know who Benny Johnson is, Bill Johnson's wife just went to be with Jesus three days ago. Um, but uh, we have friends here, Tony and Diane Parenson, who have been friends with them for many years. They go hunting together nearly every year uh, in Montana. And so friends of ours that have been part of our church. Um, 
if you don't know who they are, that's fine. But there's a, a segment I just want to read about the power of communion that she writes about. It says, when I take communion, I take it as a prophetic act, applying it to any situation that is weighing in my heart. And as a prophetic act is a Holy Spirit-inspired physical action that disrupts the atmosphere. Sometimes I feel as though God wants me to do something tangible to activate something that I'm praying into. During those moments, I simply ask the Holy Spirit, what should I do about this? And then when I feel prompted, for example, she might, you know, pray out loud, blow a shafar, take communion, uh, and so forth. Completing that prophetic act through that act of taking communion. So there's, there's power in communion that she writes about. And that is true. That is so true that we take it in a meaningful manner. Um, some have misinterpreted of taking communion in an unworthy manner has to be with an observance of the Lord's death in our, uh, always has to be this observance of Jesus' death in our place on the cross. He took my sin upon himself. He became sin for us and has cleansed me and paid for me. Yes, all of that is important. He alone is worthy and communion celebrates what he's done for unworthy sinners like us. No matter how many sins we think and we confess, that will not make us worthy to partake of communion. You know, oh, I forgot one. Darn it. You know, <laughs> if you forget one, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. They'll remind you. Uh, <clears throat> only the Jesus <clears throat> and his blood makes us worthy to have relationship with the Father. So when we take communion, yes, there is a, a, a significance that I don't take it lightly. I don't take it in an unworthy manner. But again, it's not because of how many sins you confess that morning before you take it. Uh, just take a moment and say thank you that you declare me in this new covenant relationship with you worthy. To understand the seriousness of the sin that these people were uh, failing to wait for um, the Lord's Supper, we need to look at the final verses of this chapter to see what Paul says to the Corinthians regarding the situation of the seriousness of the problem in verses 33 through 34. Uh, some of these Corinthians were so irreverent and selfish that some, um, it says, were being disciplined. Some were, had died because of this, because, however, God saw that they had forgotten, forsaken the meaning of the Lord's. They were sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus, and some of you are just plain sick, you know. And so the solution to the solution was to wait for one another. That's what he's saying in these last couple verses. Just wait. Be considerate. The Lord's Supper was about the unity of the church. It's about others. Others focused, not just yourself. And uh, other-centered, self-sacrifice of Jesus. Their selfish, um, selfishness was the opposite of what they were supposed to be remembering and celebrating together. Right? And so they were to wait for one another and to share with one alike. The Lord's Supper uh, had become this meal that was celebrated, but it was meant for the entire church, meant for the whole gathering of the church, and when they uh, weekly together as that congregation. Now, the Lord's Supper was part of that meeting, and the whole church gathered together 
And five times you can read that in verses 17 through 34, the words come together or gather together, remind that importance of togetherness, togetherness, togetherness. That is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, the Corinthian problem was not their failure to gather, but their failure to truly be God's new people when they gathered together. And in unity, centered together on Jesus first and foremost. And then secondly, you know what? You go first. <laughs> you are more important than me, right? Um, and so that's important, you know. And we all reminded of his sacrifice for our sins. Ultimately, that's what unites us together and that's what makes us a family of God. Absolutely. So as a result of the unfairness and the gluttony surrounding communion, Paul's essentially asking the people, do a heart check, would you please? Do a heart check and before communion, are their hearts in the right place? Are you in the right spot right now? I mean, I loved what, what Howard was talking about. He said, I was not in the right place. I was, in, I was really angry. I was messed up in that moment. There's other parts in Scripture that says, if you're not in the right place, what are you going to do about it? It says, if you come offering your altar and you have odds with your brother or sister, what does it say? Leave your gift there. Go take care of business. And then come back and worship. Because it will always, your prayers, it even says in 1 Peter, your prayers are going to hit the ceiling, guys, with your wife. If you don't take a care of your relationship, it's not going to, you know, God's not going to answer your prayer if you have broken relationship stuff going on at home. Take care of it first, always. Are the hearts together. We are eating the meal to remember Christ's sacrifice, to engage in community. That's part of our own church slogan, you know, empower love, creating community. We are called in Christ's love to create community, not just among ourselves, but to welcome more people. We're creating community as a church. That's part of our church mission statement. They're eating the meal to remember that. And are they actually having communion or are they just selfishly satisfying their own appetites? How do we apply this to ourselves? How does this apply to you and me? What would happen if we shared a meal with Christians and we celebrated the Lord's Supper together. What would that look like? Early church seemed to mix the whole holy tradition of the bread and wine with this um, shared meal together. And we know that eating together is a bonding thing, unless it's done the way the Corinthians were doing it. There's something powerful about breaking bread together, about sitting in a meal. And that's why Joe, loved to have, Joe and I love to have people over. When you, when you invite people into your lives, whether it be a home or a relationship or somewhere, you're just saying, I want to break bread together. There's power, power in that. It just solidifies relationships. Um, what if we move the Lord's Supper from the sanctuary to the home or to a restaurant, if you will? And enlarge it from a tiny wafer or a sip of grape juice uh, to a shared meal, shared equally among other believers. You know, what about that? What does that look like? So the guiding principle here is the same as in the issue of eating meat offered to idols. In verse t uh, chapter 10, verse 24, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. That's what he said in that chapter before. You can't be selfish. 
and follow Jesus. Right? His whole life and death was about others. That's everything that he did. He says, emulate, become like me. Wash wash others' feet. Do that. As you do it unto them, you're doing it unto me. Don't do it to broadcast everyone that what I'm doing, I'm giving or I'm doing or I'm serving and I want everybody to notice me like the Pharisees did. He said, no. Pray in the prayer closet. Do these things and as you do them, you're doing them unto me and you're storing up your treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust don't destroy and, and sometimes you just go, well, I'd like to kind of get noticed once in a while. You know, I'd like to be appreciated once in a while. We all ha- want to be appreciated and if I haven't thanked you, I want to thank you. But at the same time, it's my words are going to come up short when we always reminded that we have to, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 was a life verse for me. I'm doing this unto you, Lord. Remind me, I'm doing this unto you and others. If we put others ahead of self, then when we come together, it will always be for the better and not for the worse. That's the spirit of communion when we are celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus for others. And hopefully this challenges, hopefully this changes us to consider others more important than ourselves just as Jesus did. When I consider others more important than myself, it's seldom that it doesn't cost me anything. Is that true for you? Sometimes it's really annoying. Sometimes it could be a painful in the offering. Sometimes when I give unto the Lord of tithes and offerings, I'm like, oh, that doesn't make sense. God says, do it unto me. And I give unto the Lord. When I serve, I'm serving as unto the Lord. And you know what? I'm doing it as unto him. And I'm reminded that, you know, sometimes there's a little pain in the time I have to give to things. Even when I'm not appreciated. Even when I share that frustration word a few weeks ago. It's like, yes, I've been frustrated before. I've been frustrated when I felt like, am I the only one doing something? And you know what? It's not just to have a little pity party and, you know, temper tantrum. When my kids threw a temper tantrum, they knew that was an automatic spanking. (laughs) Like, go ahead, have your little party there, but you're going to get a whooping for that. Because I'm asserting my will above the authority at the time. And I'm like, no, you know, and, and sometimes that will needs to be broken. And sometimes in our adulthood or adulting, that we sometimes throw little temper tantrums. Sometimes we just want our own space, our own time, and you're interfering with my time, and you're interfering with all this. I'm like, am I? Am I interfering? Or is this what we're to be as the family of God? Are we to be participants together as the family of God? It is never about the 10% doing everything. It's about every one of us participating in some fashion where we are helping one another, where I can call on you, you can call on me for prayer, for needs, for whatever that is. And I hope that we're honoring in that way. And I respect your time and you respect mine, you know. That's important that we do that. I'm gonna talk, we'll talk more about that in the following chapter as well. But that is the importance of sacrifice. Sometimes there's pain in the offering. In discipleship, you're never gonna disciple one and it's gonna be just easy all the time. Discipling or mentoring or having being an accountability for someone is seldom gonna be like, 
It's not going to take any of your time. It's going to take your time. But how much rewarding is that? What rewarding? When I've done things or I've lost sleep or I've given up some time and I can see later on, and usually it is a later on setting, that I can look back and go, thank you, Jesus. You gave me the grace. Thank you, Jesus, that when I gave that time, you blessed my time, other time that I did have left to give me the adequate sleep, even if it was only five hours. Thank you, God, that I feel like I woke up with a full night of sleep, even though I gave that time for you, essentially. See, that's, that's what being together in that communion, that holy communion is togetherness. And that's so important that we take that to heart. So when we get up here and when we're passing the list all the time, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt your feelings a little bit maybe. I, I mean, I, want, I just want you to go, yes, I can do it that time or I could do it that time or, or outreach. When we're doing outreach and our primary outreach is mega sports camp and our baseball outreach. And I thank God for everyone's service in those. But you know what? If you can make one night or you can make that Saturday, if you can make any of that time, then do it. Because that is not just for us. That's for outreach to our community. So I want to put a plug in there for Kat. And I want to thank Kat, Kat for all her, her time. She, uh, she does work behind the scenes a lot. And I really appreciate her. But Lord, would, he, would you deepen our understanding? Deepen our understanding of our covenant relationship with you, first and foremost. And never forget that sacrifice that you paid for my sin, Lord. Lord, you paid so much for me. You became that spotless lamb. You died. You said it is finished. It is paid in full. To tell us die was that final act that you paid for our sin once and for all. You were that Passover lamb. And I apply in a prophetic act the blood of Jesus over myself. I claim that I am a child of God. I walk out of slavery into victory, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, that you set us free from the bonds of sin and death and sickness. Lord, we just claim the blood of Jesus for our healing as well, for myself, for others. Lord God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that you paid for that. Help me to always remember. Help me, help me to always commemorate communion with you in that worthy manner. In that worthy manner, not because I'm trying to do worthy acts, but because of what you did made me and declares me righteous in your sight. You say I am worthy to participate. You always want me to consider others, seek the good of others more than myself, Lord. So Lord, thank you that the little even that I do unto you, may you use that. May you use it, Lord, for someone that needs to know you. May I be able to, even if I have pain in the offering or the time, may I see some of the fruit in its time, in its season, the rewards, Lord. And maybe in this world, we will never see completely the rewards of our labors until we walk into eternity someday. Lord, I thank you for everyone's sacrifice. I thank you for this family. I thank you for my friends that I can call them brothers and sisters together in unity because of the blood of Jesus. 
Now, Lord, let us walk in that freedom. Let us declare that wherever we go. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be so today, God. Thank you, Jesus. I worship you. I praise you, Lord. You've given me the victory, and I walk in that victory today. And Lord, when you change me, you change me to be a witness for you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us, Lord, with your love and your, and your gifts to go out and proclaim the good news until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.